Hey man, it's Kevin Smith and you're listening to Screen Geeks. The only critics I can get behind. And when I get behind them, I will make love to them. Screen Geeks. Screen Geeks Radio. I believe it's episode 172 now. Uh, this is Dave. This is Barry. This is Detective Elliot Stabler of the SVU. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. And thanks to the one and only Jack Gregson from Screen Geeks UK for, for rounding up that little drop from Mr. Kevin Smith. Yeah, that's fantastic. A year ago, I was at the the Red State screening, and now here it is a year later, and Kevin Smith is uh, threatening to um, Dude, ho- uh, deliver from behind. So, yes. Yeah. Yes, there we go. Uh, yeah, but what else would we expect, really? You know, it's it's all good. Um, this week we are talking about the films of the great Richard Pryor. Yes. I think we kind of need to talk about his entire career. Oh, just yeah. Just because it's so... His life is amazing. It's, yeah. It's stunning stuff. Indeed. Indeed. So, uh, before we get to all that, let's talk about what we've been watching recently. Uh, Barry, you want to kick us off? Sure. Um, Louis Mallet's film, uh, my aid rather, um, Vanya on 42nd Street. This is a film. This is the last thing that he ever did. This is one of our great directors, and this is a movie that I actually had to watch when I was a theater major in college. This is a production of Uncle Vanya that was done in this crumbling theater, um, directed by Andre Gregory, and among the amongst the actors in the cast, George Gaines and uh, Julian Moore. It was one of these once-in-a-lifetime performances that was that was thankfully filmed. It was the last film that Maya ever directed. And it, for years, it was never on DVD. It recently became released on Criterion. And I'm so glad because this is a really hard film to find. It was one of those uh, uh, VHS tapes that was just, just kind of vanished into thin air. The film looks fantastic. The extras are terrific. Uh, if you're a fan of theater, let alone Uncle Vanya or, or Julian Moore, who is just incredible in this film. Everybody's great, though. This is, this is really one of the best films of its year, 1994. Managed to ca- uh, catch up finally with Vim Vendor's film, Wrong Move. This is a film he did early in the 70s. Very Hitchcockian. It's kind of a – on one hand, it's, it's definitely one of his road films. But on the other hand, it's really sinister about how this young man basically goes on this this uh, kind of rite of passage road road trip, and he encounters a group of young people who are also like-minded artists and poets. And the threat of ver- certainly the threat of murder and violence is always in the air. So it's kind of this not a not a matter of like who done it, but will it actually happen? Very sinister, very creepy, but also a very beautiful film. I really enjoyed Wrong Move. Managed to catch up with Walter Hill's Trespass, which I haven't seen in a while. It was kind of fun to watch it again. This, of course, is with uh, the only film you'll ever see, Bill Paxton and William Sadler, opposite and against Ice-T and Ice Cube. This is one of the great <laughs> okay. uh, Walter Hill films of the 90s. Definitely a, definitely a very disreputable B-movie, but, man, it, 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 it's exciting, it's fast, it's fun, it moves pretty well, and it, it's aged pretty well considerably. And then getting towards the end, Tom Noonan's What Happened Was finally released on Netflix. What Happened Was is a film that was never, still never released on DVD. Tom Noonan, who played the villain of RoboCop 2. He also played Frankenstein in The Monster Squad. Uh, he was the villain in Last Action Hero. He's like kind of one of those go-to guys to play villains because he, he's kind of a sinister-looking dude, but a very talented character actor. He wrote and directed this film. It's a two-person film in which it's basically the, the, the worst, worst date that you could possibly imagine between two people. It's kind of like a real sinister and frightening My Dinner with Andre. Anyway, it's called What Happened Was. Check it out on Netflix. It's a terrific film. Almost done. Two more. Uh... Kenneth Branagh's film, Peter's Friends. This is the film that Kenneth Branagh did right after Dead Again. It's an ensemble film. It's been compared to The Big Chill, and deservedly so. It feels a lot like The Big Chill in a lot of ways. Very hit and miss. You definitely see Kenneth Branagh's brilliance as a filmmaker. I don't think it's one of his strongest films because the scripts were 
written by Rita Rudner is not quite that great. And then finally, I managed to finally get a copy of Fireflies in the Garden. This is this is a movie that was filmed back in 2008, same time as uh, A Thousand Words, ironically enough. Amazing cast. This is Julia Roberts, Willem Dafoe, Hayden Panettiere, um, Carrie Ann Moss, and in the lead role, Ryan Reynolds. This is a movie that was filmed a long time ago. It was shelved for years, finally released on DVD, and it's not the disaster you might have heard. The thing, the problem with it is that it's one of these epic, sprawling, real sad stack family stories. The film is 90 minutes long. It feels like it should have been about two and a half hours. It's way okay. too short for all the characters. So kind of a mixed bag. I'm glad I finally got to see it. That's it for me this week. Very cool. And that sounds way better. All right, sweet. Sorry, sorry folks. I had to uh, make a quick audio adjustment there. Uh, we sound a bit better now. So, uh, Ethan, why don't you go ahead and go next? What you been watching, sir? Um... I've watched an old uh, Mario Bava movie called Hercules in the Haunted World. Hmm. Okay. Uh, of course, starring the one and only Hercules, great guy, uh, as he goes to the haunted world to fight ghosts. As with uh, most of uh, Mario Bava's movies, it's pretty low budget, actually, but he really gets the most out of his budget because all his movies look incredibly beautiful and are all very fun, unabashed B-movies. Check it out. Quite good. Um, next, I watched Out of the Past, classic film noir from uh, Jacques Tournier, with uh, Robert Mitchum in the lead role. Nice. It's uh, kind of considered, you could probably consider it kind of the most film noiriest film noir ever. It has like almost all the tropes, just the lighting is amazing, the, it's, it's pretty classic, it's, it's hard to deny how good it is, so quite enjoyed that. And um, next I watched, uh, I don't know if any of you are familiar with the Japanese filmmaker, uh, Hirozako Koreeda. Uh, I caught up with his film Afterlife from 1998. Oh, no. Have any of you seen this? I have not, no. Um, Basically, the premise, it's kind of similar to defending your life in a way. Um, It's about people when they die, what happens is they go to the, before they go into the afterworld, they have to go kind of this committee where they pick their most treasured memory. And uh, basically, these people, they'll f- make a movie out of it, make a little film out of it, and you'll be able to take that with them to the afterworld. And uh, a lot of it's shot like kind of a fake documentary, as it's just these interviews of these people kind of recounting what's their memory or talking about what their life is. And also has the interesting meta element of talking about kind of the power of filmmaking. And uh, it's it's a really interesting film, too. One of the characters who serves in the board is like this young Japanese guy who died in World War II and felt like he missed out on a lot of opportunities in life talking to these people. So it's it's a really extraordinary film. i definitely check it out. Cool. Sounds interesting. Yeah. And uh, next I watched the Larry Cohen film God Told Me To. Has yeah. anyone here seen this? I've seen that one, yeah. Yeah, that, this is one of the weirdest <laughs> movies I've seen in a while. <laughs> yeah. I, I almost you don't want to spoil it, oh, okay. but I'll say okay. that the basic okay. setup is... Um, basically opens with a sniper unleashing on uh, the streets of New York and when they corner him he says why did you do it he says God told me to and it turns out there's a bunch of other killers in New York using the same excuse basically a procedural uh, ensues for the rest of the film and it goes again into some really weird places that it's best just to not spoil but definitely check out this movie I'm embarrassed to say that I've never seen the film Afterlife you're describing, which sounds so amazing, but I've seen all of Larry Cohen's movies. This is that amazing time when he was making, uh, like, the you know, It's Alive, the Killer Baby movie. Q, the <laughs> film about the giant monster that lives atop the Empire State Building that has, like, it's like a pterodactyl. It swoops down. And have you seen Q, Ethan? 
Yeah, and uh, Bone. Yeah, and Bone. Bone is one of my favorites. I love Bone. Yeah, that's probably you know that's probably my favorite Larry Cohen movie. Yeah, this is that this is that kind of rich period where he's making these really classic B movies and this stuff. Okay, so we're all okay. I, I sense a B movie theme coming on. Oh yeah, yeah. Larry Cohen is a genius. That guy's fantastic. And other than that, a lot of uh, Law and Order SVU. This is for research, though. I was going to say I'll why. Get into it later, though. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um. I, let's see what what have I watched recently? Did either of you get to see the Innkeepers, Ty West's new movie? Not yet. No. I saw, I saw it at Fantasia so a while ago. What I, I forget. What did you think of it? I liked it. I liked it a lot too. It's I think it ended stronger than uh, House of the Devil did. Yeah, I can see that. It's it's still not the the most solid of endings, but I really enjoyed the film. I think if you like these ghost hunting shows, it's a movie right up your alley, hmm. and it really shows that you can use the horror genre to to. Just use it at, use it as a staple as, as as a device, just as you would use romance or comedy or drama or action or anything else to tell your story. It's a matter of make the film first, and then whatever genre it happens to be, it happens to be. And the character development I thought was outstanding in it. Yeah, I didn't even recognize Kelly McGillis. Wow. But yeah, it's it's so much fun. Uh, let's see. I also I know you watched this too, Barry. Being Melmo, a puppeteer's journey. Yeah. Yeah. This is a spectacular film. It's just over an hour long, but it's just such a sweet film. You really can't be that angry of an individual when you leave the movie. I don't think. <laughs> yeah, it's, I agree, Dave. It's wonderful. It's just wonderful. It, I mean, it's. I mean, for me, it's not even so much about the puppet because uh, I remember before it started, I was watching with Julia. She's like, you know, I don't even. I don't like Elmo. I don't know if I want to watch this. I'm like, well, it's not about Elmo. It's about the puppeteer. And for me, it was just so much about having this gift and being able to share it with people and how, you know, at the end of the film where he's kind of got a protege that he's kind of carrying on the legacy of being yes. a puppeteer. I mean, this is this is a special film. It's it's hard to describe without getting overly earnest, but I think it's a gorgeous film. The stories about his interactions with Jim Henson, I thought, were really gave an, an interesting insight to show that, yeah, no, that really was Jim, that, that he really was that kind of guy, that, that kind of giving individual and just kind of egging him along and... It, it's just such it's it's a wonderful film really i mean it's, it's and it's easy to geek out watching this so remember oh, yeah. the, remember the scene at the labyrinth premiere and you just kind of see casually like jennifer connelly like you know casually kind of walking around in the background and and talking about the dark crystal like oh this is this is this is jason siegel probably watches this thing in a loop every day at his house exactly exactly um you know and, and the interesting thing is we think of elmo and we think well this guy can't have been with the muppets that long and you're like oh yeah he has and working with captain kangaroo and it's such a blast from the past for me. It's yeah. just such a great trip down memory lane. And it was well-paced. You know, when the film felt like it was over, it was over. It was just really I wanted good. more, honestly, when it was over. I thought it was that good. I mean, it's oh, one absolutely. of these... Yeah. I mean, you know, Paradise Lost 3 was a really strong example of a documentary. So was Pina. But I was really surprised that Being Elmo wasn't up for the Academy Award. I mean, I think it's a really, really solid film. Yeah, I, I couldn't disagree with that even a little bit. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was at the at the first annual Galaxy Fest here in Colorado Springs, and I got to host a screening of Inc., and honestly, I hadn't watched the movie since we did the screening like two years ago. Hmm. So it was like watching it all over again, and the film still holds up for me, cool. i got to say. So it's, it's still got that emotional center at the end, and I just I love it. If you haven't seen it, it's on flipping Netflix, people. Watch it. Uh, speaking of Netflix, I went and revisited Lost in La Mancha and got depressed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the great Lost films, yep. It's it's such an expertly put together documentary, but it's so wholly disheartening and depressing. And you're just like, is Terry Gilliam ever going to be able to make a movie again? Even though I've seen Mansion Dream of Dr. Parnassus and it's a wonderful film, you're just like, how does this guy not give up? Yeah. 
such a good film. Yeah, it's devastating. Yes. Uh, let's see. Last two things. Part of Galaxy Fest as well. I uh, got introduced to the films of Christopher Mims. Speaking of of B movies, uh, he's a gentleman in the Midwest making films, and it's essentially what if Ed Wood didn't sp- stop making movies? Uh, it, these are films made in black and white. They're made with low budgets. But I, the bit closest thing I can describe these two is kind of like a black dynamite type film where there's such an attention to detail to keep the feel of these 50s movies from like William Castle or Ed Wood. And just they're, they're good old fashioned, wholesome fun, and the monsters are cheesy as heck, but the, fun, the films are just a blast. Great. And the one I saw was called Cave Women on Mars. Hmm. Two astronauts go to Mars and they find two cultures of women. And of course, men are, if they're not not altogether extinct, they're considered, you know, first inferior. And it's such a fun movie. It's dorky as all gets out, but it, it, it it's a blast. And then finally, uh, we have, Steph and I have been watching back through the Justice League cartoons. Hmm. And for a series that's, you know, over 10 years old, it's like watching Batman the Animated Series. They just made these films with such an expert touch that they knew to keep the technology generic enough and make the stories good enough that the film that the show has aged incredibly well. So yeah, that's great. Definitely so worth going back and revisiting if you get the chance. So let's talk about what has come out in the theater this past weekend. Well, the uh, first of three stops on the uh, Taylor Kitsch journey this year. <laughs> There's actually three because we've got really? John Carter, and then he's the star of Battle Battleship. But then I and I'm hoping and the Wolverine movie- too, right? I don't know. It's don't um. Know. Well, you know what he's got? He's got um. He's in the new Oliver Stone film. And okay. Appara- it's called Savages, and apparently he's quite good in that film. So, but uh, John Carter opened up this weekend. Um, been rumored to be the biggest write-off in Hollywood history. I, you know, but I, I swear they've been saying that for a while now. It feels like it feels like the vultures have been circling this film for yeah. for quite yeah. some time. Uh, let's see. From the writer-director team of Open Water, Martha Marcy May, Marlene Starr, Elizabeth Olsen stars in Silent House. Eddie Murphy, one of my favorite comic actors, despite the fact that he's starring in A Thousand Words, which was filmed back in 2008 from the director of Norbit. Consider Ooh. that awarding, yeah, unfortunately. In limited release, you've got Friends with Kids, starring everybody uh, from John Hamm to Maya Rudolph. Um, Hero, Dreams of Sushi. This is a critically acclaimed film about about uh, a $400 slice of sushi that you can only get in a Japanese subway, and apparently sushi connoisseurs travel all over the world to get it. Apparently, it's like the grand creme de la creme of sushi, and apparently, if you're a sushi fan like I am, this movie's just going to make you very hungry and very envious. I've got so, something I need to add to news. So Thanks Hero, for reminding me, sir. Dreams of Sushi, and then finally, uh, limited release of though it's expected to expand pretty soon. Salmon Fishing in the Yemen, very uh, peculiarly titled uh, romantic comedy with Hugh McGregor and Emily Blunt. It's been getting great reviews. In fact, the studio uh, is very much in love with it. It was a festival darling last year that's kind of slowly kind of built up with word of mouth. So we'll see if it eventually expands, becomes a word of mouth hit, or if it's one of those films that, you know, just kind of goes away. Okay, so um, did you see any of these? (laughs) I saw Silent House. Did you see any of these, Ethan? Oh, I saw John Carter. Oh, Did you? you took we, the bullet. You go first. You sound like you're still in pain. Well, the thing is, I didn't hate it, and I, I think, I think a lot of the reaction to it has become because it's been such an easy target in a way. Yes. Just because, it, but it's it's not that bad, but it's very very mediocre. Hmm. Like uh, it's, you can tell there's a lot of money there up there on screen. It's the t- I think even the tone of the movie isn't bad. Like I think it, it has the right spirit. It's just kind of boring. Okay, so it's like Prince of Persia. Mm, I imagine it's better. Okay. okay, okay. I've been reading that in, in every single review. They've all always mentioned how much it costs to make, and 
that reminds me of like when Ishtar came out. So I, I do want to see the film and give it a fair fair chance, but you know I can't help but but uh, but circle in on the on the amount of money too because it just seems like such an outrageous amount of money for a movie that doesn't have a movie star in it. Very true. Whoa, Aside from whoa. Willem Dafoe, sorry, Willem Dafoe, <laughs> who we never see in the film, but. That's okay. All right, so so it's a, it's a thorough meh. Yeah, and I'll say that I I saw an IMAX 3D. Oh wow. 3D, not worth it. Wow, that's a shock. How about the IMAX? Was it is it worth seeing on a pretty big screen? It's weird. A lot of it looked kind of grainy. Oh man. Huh. And uh, well, the thing is though, the ticket cost nineteen dollars. Oh my oh. gosh. But luckily, I had a free movie. On my scene rewards point card, so, oh, so you didn't actually free. pay money. Okay, that that. Okay, at least you didn't pay money. Then I'd feel really. If I bad paid nineteen dollars, I would have been pretty. Pissed. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Excuse me. Wow. Okay. Well, you sold me. I'm gonna wait till DVD on that one. <laughs> All right. And Silent House. Silent House is a real letdown. Um, I should address the the thing that everybody's been talking about, which is that it was all filmed in one take. It was recently revealed, just recently revealed, that, I mean, this is a film that Elizabeth Olsen did before Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene, and it premiered at a few film festivals, and it was just recently picked up. And the idea was that she would be the Academy Award-nominated or Academy Award-winning actor of Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene. This would be released after that, and there would be an audience for it. Of course, that's not what happened. So in the time between the film is made and in between it being released just a few days ago, Silent House has had its opening reshot. The last 15 minutes are a redo. So and it's no longer one take. No, it's no. And, and apparently it never was. And, and I certainly didn't think it was when I saw it. There's too many scenes where, where uh, Elizabeth Olsen is in pitch black darkness. There's too many scenes they could have... You know, and I remember when I had the I had the okay. privilege to actually meet her back in I think August or September when she was in town uh, doing promotions for Martha Marcy May Marlene, and she said that it was an exhausting film that you know they they would shoot it in one whole take and then do it again and do it again. And certainly, I think portions of the movie were filmed in long sustained takes, but that's really not a reason to see this film, um, just because it's, it's <laughs> kind of like watching Kidnapped. Yeah, it's not interesting. It's not interesting that it's done in one take because it's a lot of her uh, with a with a little lantern walking around a house and hearing noises. She, the camera gets so close to her. She is so gorgeous. I didn't mind the extreme close-ups of her, but but frankly, it's just it's not a scary film at all. It's very tense at times, but it's not frightening. And I hate saying this because I hate writing off a movie because the last. 30, 40 minutes don't work, but the ending is a disaster. The ending is such a disaster. It really doesn't make any sense the more you think about it. And it feels like a different movie kind of intruded upon this one. And it's not satisfying. You walk away completely unsatisfied. I've seen films where the ending kind of divided people. This is one where the the preview audience, which was very enthusiastic to go into a movie and get scared, they were really unhappy and they were booing the film. And ooh, okay, yeah. This is, is it, does it does it end saying visit this website for more? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not quite that bad, but it it's still it's an ending uh, without giving anything away. It's an ending that's both really really ugly. Um, and also entirely anticlimactic. It's it's worse than a mediocre Shyamalan ending. It just it feels like the wrong decision was made, and it's the least interesting decision. Of you know, just going into this movie thinking, okay, all the possibilities of what it could be is it you know is it this is it that anything most audiences could think of is more interesting than the ending that they came up with. Okay, so real disappointment. All right, 
Fair enough, fair enough. All right, well, let's go ahead and talk about what's hitting home video this week. Well, this week, and I feel like this 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 thing's actually still in some theaters. Steven Spielberg and Peter Jackson's The, the Adventures of Tintin. Which I will finally see. Yeah, I, I do want to see this film. I, I've been wanting to. You guys didn't see it? No, no, I did not. Any good? I really enjoyed it. Okay. It's weird, though. I feel so separate from the rest of the world. Well, I guess in Quebec, we got it a few weeks early in theaters, and that's because Tintin is... Well, I guess Quebec is seen as sort of an extension of Europe in a way. And we, Tintin is so popular in Europe, but he's so, like, not in the rest of North America. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right, Ethan. I mean, it's – and you know this all too well. I mean, it's it, that's just the way it's been all over the planet. I mean, it's played extremely well everywhere but the but U.S. Here. We didn't – it didn't do very well here. In fact, it, it, War Horse and Tintin both kind of petered out at $70 million and then just kind of just kind of died very quickly. I didn't know Joe Cornish worked on the script, so that that's kind of got me intrigued. Yeah, there's a lot of talented people involved, a lot yes. of really great talented people involved. So I do want to see it, and but nah, I just I, I didn't make time to see it with all the big you know movies that are coming out in December. That you know I think we we went and saw Dragon Tattoo and then Muppets yep. and Mission Impossible. But I never made time to see Tintin. Um, also being released, the now Academy Award winning The Descendants, one of my favorite films from last year, the Alexander Payne film with everybody from George Clooney to Judy Greer. Wonderful film. Yes. Uh, my Week with Marilyn, the Oscar-nominated film starring Michelle Williams and Kenneth Branagh. Great performances. I don't think it's a great film. Okay. And it, was I the only one who saw this one? I saw it. It was brutal. Brutal. Okay. <laughs> well, I liked it slightly better than Ethan, but not a whole lot. Uh, speaking of brutal. Wait, I just want to say, yes. say one more. The, the main guy in the movie? Yes. He's just the worst. Yes, I completely agree. We didn't need him. It should have been just Marilyn Monroe. We didn't need to experience her through this young guy. It felt more like a wish fulfillment fantasy than it did a real movie. It reminded I think I mentioned this. It reminded me of that film, Heartbreak Hotel. Do you remember that one? Where the young... You never no. saw it? Where, it's the Disney film where uh, where a guy kidnaps Elvis and brings him home to his brings Elvis home to her to his mom. Because she loves Elvis so much, so she, wow. so this guy kidnaps Elvis. That sounds a lot more interesting, <laughs> and it's a much better movie, I might add. Because you know, I forgot to mention this, I just watched Blue Valentine finally recently, and I'm like, I want to see another Michelle Williams movie, but apparently, the, maybe not on this one. Well, let me see what you think of this, Ethan. I thought her performance was good, but I never, for a moment, believed she was Marilyn Monroe. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, I, I feel bad because she was clearly doing her best, and I think she's one of our best actresses. But yes. just. I do think physically it just was not – it never worked. Yeah, I completely agree. And okay. it, it, there's a lot of heart in her performance, but uh, yeah, she never looked like Marilyn. She never sounded like Marilyn. The illusion never happened for me at, at any point. Now, I, it's not that that has to happen because I think an actor like, like Sir Anthony Hopkins when he played Nixon, you mm-hmm. never be, he never looked like Nixon, but I yeah, think he yeah. evoked the feel of Nixon. I never got that from Michelle Williams in this film. So Okay, fair enough. Uh, let's see, Paul, uh, Paul Whitscrip Anderson's The Three Musketeers, starring his lovely wife, Mila Jovovich, who deserves so much better, and I mean in terms of the movie every, and, every way. and her husband. Uh, let's see, wow. finally on DVD. Don't hold back. No, I'm not, because I've been in the same room with both of them, just like, let's run away, Mila. Melancholia, <laughs> finally on DVD and Blu-ray. Melancholia, I feel like I saw this thing forever ago. I can't wait to see it again. That is is this be, your pick for the week, pretty much? I'd say so. I mean, this is this is going to look so beautiful on Blu-ray. I, oh, yeah. I, you know, and Julia loved this one, too. I mean, oh, we just loved this movie. Amazing film. I didn't get to see this one. This thing was in and out of theater so quickly. Jason Reitman's Young Adult. I've been wanting There's to a see, reason. I, oh, you saw it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was okay. okay. Yeah. You know, it, I saw it. It was, it, was a, it was good. You know, it, for me, uh, Reitman's films can take some time for me to get to, to really grow to really grow on I me mean, like up in the air I, I respect and enjoy a lot more than I did when I first saw it yeah the more I look back on Young Adult the less I like it mm. 
just because most of the characters, I mean, Patton Oswalt's awesome in it. But for the most part, it's just, it's, and it is a very realistic, I think, portrayal of some people, just how jacked up they are. But it just got on my nerves. Well, I've heard the problem is that, that even though her performance is great, Charlize Theron's character is completely unlikable in every way, human shape and form. Yes. Yes. Get, <laughs> we get, share that's kind of the point. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's that's the thing about Reitman. I, I I may not like the film, but I admire it because he doesn't give you the the ending that you want. He gives you the ending that makes sense. So very cool. I'm looking forward. To, I'll let you know what I think of it when I see it. Uh, easily, easily, hands down, one of the worst films of 2011. That would be Happy Feet Two. Although, if you see it for any reason, any reason wait, at wait, all, wait, someone else saw it. <laughs> <laughs> I was the only person who saw it. I was sent a screener of this film. Uh, that's how I got to see it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Dang. Uh, I will say, we're seeing for Gil and Bill the Krill, played by Matt Damon and Brad Pitt. They are a uh, <laughs> they are a uh, same-sex couple, pair of Krill, who uh, basically they're, they go through kind of a broke-back relationship over the course of the film. They fall in love with each other. They realize how much they need each other. They, they, uh, they are torn apart by all the hundreds of other Krill around them, but later they do find one another. Um... I gotta say, the idea of Matt Damon and Brad Pitt as a bitchy couple, if that sounds hilarious to you, it's even funnier in the film. I loved all the scenes with Gil and Bill the Krill. Okay. The rest of the movie is 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 a chore to sit through. Okay, fair enough. Let's see. On Criterion, uh, one of the great films by Martin Scorsese, The Last Temptation of Christ, starring Willem Dafoe. I don't care if you're someone of faith or someone of no faith. This movie is very challenging. So if you've never seen it before, it, it's not like going at all. This is a tough film, but it's a brilliant, brilliant film. And where else can you see David Bowie's Pontius Pilate, for Pete's sake? <laughs> there you go. And Peter Gabriel's score is beautiful. This is, this is a film I love and appreciate very much, though it took a while for me to get there. Um, on Blu-ray, you've got a lot of double features you've got the american pie collection i wonder oh, yeah. why you got ralph bakshi's wizards his very trippy very strange 1977 sorry, animated sorry, film. sorry i need to backtrack a little the american pie collection does it contain just the three like jason biggs movies or does it have like all the i think it's just the main movies just, thankfully just the three so it's not like american pie presents the naked mile or any of those films okay yeah so this is it's canon it's <laughs> canon it's essential sorry, no <laughs> You heard um, that sigh of disappointment, didn't you? Was that disappointment or relief? I don't know. <laughs> Ralph Bakshi's Wizards, great film, 1977. The Harold and Kumar double feature. So this is both of the Harold and Kumar films, White Castle and Escape from Guantanamo Bay. Uh, let's see. The, a very interesting Quentin Tarantino double feature. Two films he did not direct, but two films he did write. That would be True Romance and Natural Born Killers, available on a Blu-ray double feature. Oh. Also on a Blu-ray double feature, the early and pretty strong Jim Carrey comedies from New Line Cinema, Dumb and Dumber, and The Mask. I love The Mask. And Dumb and Dumber is still pretty funny. Uh, let's see. And then kind of a double feature no one asked for, but oh well. Under Siege and Under Siege 2, Dark Territory. Wow. That's the, the winner right there. I like Dark Territory better, actually. And then let's see. Chronicles of Narnia. The Voyage of the Dawn Treater. This has never been on Blu-ray before? Yeah, it has. Okay. So it's it must be a re-release. So we release And then last two, uh, Dave brought this up, uh, especially The Swell Season. This is the documentary about the creators of Once. Great. Yeah, the band, yeah, Marketer, Glova, and uh, Glenn Hansard. Then and the it's Guild. really good. Okay. It's really good. Yeah, I need to see that. And then The Guild Season 5. And, and then, then our throwback pick for the week. <laughs> our throwback, yeah, I appreciate you bringing this up, Dave, because this is one of the shows I honestly did watch. I didn't. I didn't watch it with – it wasn't like the Wonder Years or anything, but this was one of those shows I did watch a lot in the 80s and the 90s, and that was Bobby's World, season one. The, the Howie Mandel Bobby's World. Yeah, yeah it, was like, it, it was like Howie Mandel talking like that for a whole show, and they basically created this little kid character around him. And a so, family, yeah. 
Yeah, I thought it was kind of adorable. It was. I mean, it's I enjoyed not amazing. It. It's not anything and, I'm going to buy. What, like 92, 93? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe like watching like a little clip of it on YouTube might suffice. I don't know if spending $19 for season one of Bobby's World. I, I know I'm not. I'm not. So that's our that's our releases. So let's move into news. And I'm going to get my one bit of news out of the way because, Barry, you need to start putting your nickels away. There's okay. something coming out just for you. Okay. May 8th, mm-hmm. the 131-disc complete collection of Dark Shadows. <laughs> 131? Yes. <laughs> wow. It's only 600 bucks. Oh my god. But it's got new interviews, it's got commentaries, it's got it comes in a coffin case. Oh man. Like I was like who would pay 600 Okay, it's 131 discs. I, I guess I really can't hate on it that much. I like what is it 1200 episodes of the show? And I'll be I'll be upfront about this. I love Colin Wood. I love Barnabas Collins. I love Dark Shadows. I love all of the series of Dark Shadows. There's no way in my life <laughs> no. I would ever ever buy this. Do I? Would I want it? Sure, but in, I think it would be more something I would show people when they'd come over at a for a party than something I'd actually like sit down like. Ugh. You're going to sit down and dig through Dark Shadows. This number 14, yeah. This number 85. All right, this is the good one. Because what I think people may not understand about Dark Shadows, let me just throw this out really quick. This is a soap opera. This isn't like like Lost or Dallas or Cheers. I mean, this is a soap opera. This was on. It's like Twilight. This was on. (laughs) No, 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 no. no, no, no. This was on every day for years. That's why there's so many discs. I mean, that's why, you know, Dark Shadows just kind of goes on and on and on. Um, Yeah, that's, that's. That's a little too much. I'm not a Dark Shadows completist, and I I don't even know if a Dark Shadows completist would want this. It's just it sounds that's too much of a good thing for me. Is is there such a thing, sir? Is there really such a thing? Yeah, yeah. Between watching all the old episodes on Netflix, which I've been doing, and the movie coming out, I think I think by, by you're Ju- good. I think by June, I'm going to be so sick of Dark Shadows. So. Okay. Speaking of the the movie, where's the trailer for that? That's an excellent question. But we got Frankenweenie, which opens up in October, and we haven't. Yeah, I completely agree. Where is the Dark Shadows trailer? And I kind of wondering about that it's waiting in the shadows okay sorry well, I, joke. I don't know well, no, no it's a good question i mean yeah I mean, this is one of the big tent poles of the summer we have the prometheus trailer and you know where's dark shadows yeah so yeah. i wonder if they're waiting to attach it to some big movie coming out but i don't know it's two months away well we'll see we'll see uh, what have you got, Barry? Well, in this corner, you've got The Girl. The Girl is a film about Alfred Hitchcock, and it stars Toby Jones as Alfred Hitchcock. I think pretty inspired choice. That's Imel- interesting. Okay. Imelda Staunton as his wife, Alma. That's excellent casting. I can totally see that. Mm-hmm. Sienna Miller as Tippi Hendren. I can't see that at all, but that's that's intriguing. The director is uh, Julian Gerald. This is the director of Red Riding, uh, the first Red Riding film, 1974, uh, which starred Andrew Garfield. Good film. Yep. And also Becoming Jane. This is going to be a TV movie, apparently, so this might be on HBO or Showtime, um, that hasn't been confirmed yet, but this is going to be a TV movie. So that's the first Alfred Hitchcock movie. In this corner, you've got Alfred Hitchcock and the Making of Psycho. This is going to be released in 2013, whereas The Girl is 2012. Alfred Hitchcock and the Making of Psycho is based on the Anthony Rambello book of the same name. It's funny to me because this is this is a textbook for all of my Hollywood is history it? class. Yeah, nice. I've, every year I've had this as a textbook. Um, it's about obviously the making of psycho alfred uh, alfred hitchcock is played by sir anthony hopkins i think a very inspired choice helen mirren as alma can't see that at all but that's interesting that's really interesting james drc as anthony perkins i think that's pretty inspired okay, actually okay oh, excuse me i'm sorry hugh dancy excuse me hugh yeah. dancy from uh stardust 
Oh, oh yes. okay. okay. I'm sorry. Excuse me. Hugh Dancy. I'm sorry. I don't know why I wrote James Jersey. Hugh Dancy is Anthony Perkins, and finally, kind of the wild card, and while most people have heard about this film, Scarlett Johansson as Janet Leigh, which I can't see at all, but that's that's intriguing. The director is Sasha Gervasi. This is the this is the director of Anvil, the story of Anvil, awesome documentary. Yes. And Sasha Gervasi, he was he was the uh, the drummer for the band Bush. Remember okay. Bush from the '90s? Yeah. So, so these are the Whoa. dueling Hitchcock films. So, <laughs> just he just blew Ethan's mind. Yes, it's pretty I awesome. I love Bush. I do too. I used to listen to that band all the time. I used to, and the well, I think we're talking about the same thing. But I used to, <laughs> I used to, yeah. I used to. This is the late '90s. I used to wear a flannel and listen to Bush, and just kind of like the soundtrack <laughs> to all the girls who like wouldn't go out with me, you know? Okay. <laughs> hey, that song "Mouth Man." I, I, want I saw to Gavin stop. Rossdale recently on Carson Daly. Yeah. No, I wasn't watching Carson Daly by choice. It was just <laughs> I was just up late and it was on. Uh, I love how you feel the need to justify that. <laughs> like, I wasn't really watching Carson Daly. It just kind of happened. <laughs> so I'm sorry. How was what was Gavin Rossdale like? I don't know. That guy is just a joker. <laughs> All right then. Wow. What have, have you got? Anything else? You got a couple more. Robo I got just two more. Just two more. Uh, RoboCop. It's it's officially happening. Unfortunately, the remake of RoboCop. Uh, the director is Jose Padilla. This is the director, of course, of Elite Elite Squad, the critically acclaimed film, and the star is Joel Kinnaman, the star of the Emil Hirsch, Invincible Monsters in Russia film, The Darkest Hour. That's where you might know Joel Kinnaman from before. And the release date is set. It will officially open summer of 2013, opening in August. PG-13, I'm sure. I'm positive, yes. And finally, I just thought this was really intriguing. Um, Variety had this big article about the Goon. Goon opened in Canada, had a huge breakthrough opening. Um, in fact, Ethan, let me ask you really quick. I know that you went to, you did some red carpet, uh, red carpet coverage for, for Goon. Did you get to see the film? Yeah. How was it? It was it was good. I I didn't laugh a lot, but I'm very particular about comedy. But it's it's a good movie. Okay, and it is a it, it's a pretty straightforward comedy, like Slapshot or. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, well, uh, what I thought was really interesting. Variety was reporting that it had this gigantic opening in Canada, um, but intriguingly enough, the biggest business uh, for the film was in Quebec, and in Quebec, um, of course, that's a French-speaking province. Um, the dubbed version was the version that played. And that was really? yeah the most successful version of the film was dubbed, huh? Yeah, not okay. not subtitled, but a dubbed version in French. Uh, well, I, I don't know, maybe here because uh, Marc Andre Grandin is in the movie and he's a big Quebec star. Mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe that had something to do with it. But. Okay, interesting. But okay. yeah, it's a, apparently it's a, it's huge, huge in Canada. We have yet to get it. I think we're getting it in a few weeks. I think probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right on. Um, I'll th- well, yeah, Ethan, why don't you, you you bring up the couple of trailers you wanted yeah. to because these are worth talking about for sure. Uh, the on the road trailer. Please, yeah. It looks freaking awesome. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited for it, too. I'm intrigued. I mean, uh, I read Kerouac's On the Road when I was in college, and it really was... It, it, I, it wasn't It wasn't one of those books that changed my life. It wasn't like The Razor's Edge or The Scarlet Letter, where I just feel like this is this is what literature is. But it, it is one of the great novels. It really is. Um, and it, for years, they've been saying this is an unfilmable book. Um, Francis Ford Coppola was going to do it originally. Now he's one of the producers of the film. Um, Garrett Hedlund and uh, Control star Sam Riley in the leads as Kerouac and Cassidy. That's intriguing. Um, of course, everybody's talking about Kristen Stewart having nudity. There you go. I, I'm excited to see a Kristen Stewart performance, honestly. That, that I find really intriguing because we forget that she's actually a very good and capable actress. So 
Sweet. Um, but this is Walter Salas, the director of The Motorcycle Diaries, which certainly feels kind of like a cousin to On the Road. So um, this movie was made about two years ago. It's been on the shelf for a while, which is which is just not good. But if it opens at con, and if it lives up to the trailer, this could be could really be something. I'll say I'm very excited, too, to see uh, Viggo Mortensen as uh, William S. Burroughs. That's who he's playing? Yeah. Wow. Man, from Freud to Burroughs, that is... That guy is amazing. That is so cool. Very cool. Yeah. And the other trailer that's more of a curiosity than anything else, I think. Men in Black 3. Mm. Yeah. I I think Josh Brolin does a dead-on Tommy Lee Jones, and that's what intrigued me through the trailer. He's clearly going to walk away with that whole movie. Yeah. Yeah. That's Because about- this, is, this is seen it, been there, done that... And anybody knows this thing is not opening on the 4th of July like the other Men in Black films. It's opening in, in late May, which is That's also just, not a sign of confidence. Yeah, it's just kind of dumb. I'm, I'm just going to say it. Um, okay, well, I, I've got a, a few things left to finish up with. Um, I, uh, let, let's get the actual news bit out of the way. Where is it? Um, so, so if you ever want to get a digital copy of your film, God help you. That's all I'm saying. Because you've got... What is it? The the blue way the blue. What, I've got the app on my thing. You've got ultraviolet versions. You've got versions that it's just a digital copy through iTunes, through the Zune Media Store, through Pocket Blue. The studio can't. The studios can't figure out one one platform just to get it all out in one spot to make take care of you know I don't know us consumers. So who went ahead and beat them to the punch? The pirates. All, there's there has actually been a, a some apparently all of the the major uploaders of of illegal content got together and had a summit, and have agreed on one platform and one one version of video that they're going to do everything. It's going to be an MP4 file using the X two six four public domain codec, and it's like so so once again. The studios are doing it wrong by by not being able to pull their head out and make something somewhat easy for us to get to. The pirates are giving everyone an easier option to get to the content. And it annoys me to no end. I'm just amazed that there was a pirate summit. I, yeah, that, and, that, that, and, that's part one that's funny. And I know that it's not like literally pirates. I mean, I know it's like a bunch Arr. of 13. I know it's a bunch of 13 year olds like, you know, hi, I'm. I go by my handle is you know Chewbacca's wife or something, but like I, I find that intriguing that they all made this collective decision together. And like, wasn't there a narc in that meeting? I mean, like how how you'd think you'd think this we... was act- this was actually brought up over at Framerate over at uh, the Twit Network, and it's it just blew my mind. It's they have a very similar idea to this that I do. It's if people would make the content easier to get to, it'd just be easier. It it, it let us do it. Yeah. People want to be able to pay for the media they have. We yeah. want to pay for movies. I want to pay for TV shows. To go through the cumbersome DRM-filled BS that the studios make us go through, it, make it easier for me. I want to give you my money. Please, please, please. But it, as long as there's an easier option, piracy is always going to be a viable alternative. Man. So, yeah. Ah, oh, boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was interesting. It is. Um... Make sure I got that there. All right, and then finally, we've got a couple conventions coming up. Um, we got Starfest coming up next. Their final thing. If you're in Colorado, you know we go every bloody year. This is April the 20th through the 22nd. 22nd, right? yes. And we have got an upgraded guest list. We've got John Noble from the Lord of the Rings films, from most notably from Fringe, playing Walter. Uh, we've got Jonathan Frakes coming from Star Trek: The Next Generation. David Prowse, who was the man in the Dark Vader costume for the first four, first three Star Trek Star Wars movies. Sorry. Um, 
Jonathan Frakes and Jewel State. Those are my two highlights right there. Jewel State from Firefly and Wonderfalls and X-Files and a, a bunch of shows. Yeah. She's going to be here. Uh, Robert O'Reilly, you probably know as Galron in Star Trek, the, the, the bug-eyed leader of the Klingons. <laughs> it's, that, that is kind of fun, too. And then uh, who else have we got? We got D. Wallace. D. Wallace. D. Wallace has yes. worked with everybody from Steven Spielberg to Joe Dante to Peter Jackson. I mean, her filmography is really, really extraordinary. Yes, and the gentleman I was talking about, Christopher Mim, is actually going to be coming to to, to scream to, to screen. What is it? Oh crud! Let me find what the title is because the title of the film is awesome: Attack of the Moon Zombies, Good which time. I have a copy of. I'm going to watch, and I might even be introducing the film. We'll see. But yeah, that movie's going to be awesome. Great. And then in June, the 15th to the 17th, we've got the first ever Denver Comic Con, which is a, a, a very cool benefit for the comic book classroom. Find out about them at denvercomiccon.com. But they've got a great guest list. They've got Gail Simone. They've got a bunch of great comic people. Since this is not a comic book show, I'm not going to weigh it down too much with that. Uh, as, as the big names, we've got Tom Kane, who does the voice of Yoda in The Clone Wars. We've got Michael Uslan, who's the executive producer on every single Batman film, wow. the guy who brought the films to life. Uh, we've got Kristen Bauer from True Blood. We've got the guy who created um, Gargoyles, the TV show, oh, yeah. the cartoon. And we've got Billy West coming, the voice of Stimpy, the voice of one Mr. Philip J. Fry. Wow. And my big one is the one and only Mr. Will Wheaton. Holy crap. Yeah. That's huge, man. So we got it, it's going to be a heck of a lot of fun. We're doing a mini film festival which i'm going to be involved with so that look out for me to be pimping that like mad probably but uh finally we do have one kind of a sad note to go out on and that is that you you know when someone famous passes we always joke about well who, who are going to be the other two we had our three for in one week pretty much which is very sad we had the passing of ralph mcquarrie who's who, who, who's art direction formed what we know star wars to be yeah this guy really pushed science fiction real genius Yes, absolutely. It, it, you know, and we we've got two science fiction pioneers. We've also got John Sherrod, who's better known as Mobius. You know, worked on worked on Aliens, worked on Tron, worked on Dune. Well, yeah. well, Yodorowsky's version of what would have been yeah, Dune. Yeah, yeah. The man <clears throat> has done. I've read I read his Silver Surfer comic and had my mind blown. <laughs> and finally, if you have grown up as a Disney child, you miss you will miss Robert Sherman. He is one of the Sherman brothers who wrote just about every single famous song in the Disney catalog through the 80s. And uh, if you haven't seen The Boys, which is a documentary about them, you absolutely need to seek it out and check it out as soon as humanly possible because it's, it's a fascinating look about how two brothers can become estranged, but it's a great look at just that wild roller coaster of, we're going to write some songs. Holy crap, we're working for Walt Disney now. It's a great film. And uh, all these guys really are going to be missed. They absolutely are. Yeah. So, yes, let's take a quick break. You know, we haven't heard from, the, heard from those guys over at Janja.net in a while, so, so let's go ahead and hear from them. But we will be right back. Thanks, Dave. Great show. At Janja.net, that's J-O-N-J-A, we have everything to satisfy your sci-fi fan needs. If you look at this chart comparing... What do you mean there's no video? They're screen geeks. They don't have a screen? Well, how am I supposed to... I hired a Cylon to tell everyone about the discussions of sci-fi television and movies past and present. I guess I won't be needing you. You can leave. I mean, come on, I had Nichelle Nichols beam in to talk about our long list of exclusive interviews, including Zachary Quinto, Amanda Tapping, and the crew of Mystery Science Theater 3000. Hailing frequencies are always open at Jean-Jean.net. 
Never mind, Miss Nichols. Thanks for coming in. I don't believe this. Oh, great. Now here comes my special guest to tell people about Johnza.net's Flash Arcade. Forget it, man. They can't even see you. Oh, well. Maybe everyone will find their way over to Johnza.net to see and hear everything for themselves. Thanks for watching. Now back to Screen Geeks. That's a major accomplishment for after 35 years of <laughs> being a failed filmmaker. Lloyd Kaufman gets to be on ScreenGeeks.com. <laughs> And we are back, and since we are talking about Richard Pryor, there's only one button we need. Usually when we say that, we mean... Matt Damon. Oh no, when it's, when it's Richard Pryor, we have to have the button ready to go. Yeah, indeed. So, why don't you take us down this journey, sir? Well, this is a privilege. I'm really glad that we decided to do this. This is my pick, at least, for the greatest stand-up comedian of all time. And I, I know there's many that agree with me. Richard Pryor was uh, a genius because he was so honest and so frank. And so many of the stories that he told on stand-up were, were reflective of his own life and experiences. And what a what an incredible life. Uh, w- without getting too deep into it, uh, although it does come up when we talk about JoJo Dancer, Richard Pryor was born in 1940 in Peoria, Illinois. Uh, he very famously grew up uh, around prostitutes because his family ran a, a whorehouse. His uh, grandmother was the madam of the whorehouse. Apparently his mom worked there. And um, it was just one of these... These, that explains so much. Kind of a almost, you know, kind of a a late twentieth century Dickensian sort of life growing up. I mean, really just full of like like heartache and tragedy and violence and and uh, just some of the some of the things that he's experienced. I mean, he's talked about very openly in his stand up comic. Um, of course, Pryor uh, served in the military for a period of time. He eventually broke out as a stand up comedian. Once he finally kind of got in and really, really established himself as a very accessible stand-up comedian, he said, well, he didn't say screw this, he said something else, and he decided to walk away from it saying, this is not me, this is very safe, this is very homogenized. He came back as a very foul-mouthed, also very daring, very bold, very controversial, and absolutely breakthrough stand-up comedian whose style of comedy was very reflective, it was very honest, it was very personal, it was very painful at times, um, and always extraordinary, and he found ways to make us laugh at things that are not even remotely funny. It was when he came back as that sort of stand-up comedian that he really kind of took the world by storm. And this is where we kind of come in with his filmography. Unlike today, if you are a stand-up comedian who is a success or a Saturday Night Live comedian who is a success, it, it's all very kind of prepackaged. You've got a movie deal. You'll either co-star in a movie or you'll star in a movie. Um, or you'll have some sitcom named after you that'll last about a season. I mean, that's just kind of what happens now. This being the early 70s when Pryor first broke out, there really was no format for him. There was no Saturday Night Live. So there really wasn't a barometer for what the heck a guy like him would do once you're a success and once they want to turn you into the movies. So a lot of his early films, for one thing, they're not available. They're very difficult to find, even on VHS. Um, the first film he ever did was called Busybody in 1967. I haven't seen it. Um, he did a lot of films initially that were very much kind of like skits. They were kind of like the Kentucky Fried Movie or The Groove Tube. He did a film I'd love to see just because the title is called You've Got to Walk It Like You Talk It or You Lose That Beat. That's the name of the film. (laughs) Isn't that a great title? He also did a film called Dynamite Chicken, probably the only film in which you'll ever see John and Yoko Ono alongside Richard Pryor. His breakthrough film came in 1972, directed by Sidney J. Fury. It's called Lady Sings the Blues. Have, have, Have you two seen this? No. No. It's very hard to find. Um, I've, I saw it years ago. I tried to find it again. It's, it's The DVD is out of print. very difficult to find. It's a fictionalized version of the life of Billie Holiday. Diana Ross plays Billie Holiday. 
And Richard Pryor plays the piano man. It's a critically acclaimed performance. It's a completely wink-free performance, and he's terrific in the film. Many thought that he would get an Oscar nomination. It didn't happen. And Pryor himself said that such was the state of Hollywood that they didn't know what to do with him. And the roles for black actors at that point were so bad that instead of Lady Sings the Blues being a film that ultimately, you know, like brought him to all these really great roles, he ended up having to do, well, what was available at the time. He went from Lady Lady Sings the Blues to The Mac. The Mac, one of the earliest, yeah, one of the earliest uh, black exploitation films. Not one of the best, by the way, even though it's, it is it does have its popularity. Thankfully, uh, in addition to being a really gifted stand-up comedian, he also did a lot of writing for comedy TV shows. And one of these shows, I believe, was Sid Caesar. He got to meet uh, Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks hired him, probably one of his first most, and certainly one of his most famous and beloved uh, jobs on film, which would be Blazing Saddles. Uh, Writing of- Mongo. That's the part that still blows my mind. <laughs> yeah, and, and let's, uh, most, of, most prior fans know this, but let's just throw this out here. This is remarkable because he didn't just write all of Cleavon Little's material. He wrote all of the jokes. He wrote all, well, it was a collective screenplay process, of course, but he wrote a lot of the intellectual stuff, a lot of the surreal moments, the horse being punched out. I mean, uh, all of Mongo's dialogue. I mean, Mongo just pawn in Game of Life. <laughs> I mean, like the fact that yeah. he wrote that shows the man's brilliance, like versatility too. And Brooks, of course, wanted to catch, uh, cast him in the lead role. Uh, the backers for the film said no. They didn't trust him. Uh, they couldn't get uh, insurance for him. Uh, so Pryor was considered something of a loose cannon even then, and he lost out on a role that was his, and Cleavon Little ultimately played it, and played it beautifully. Um, but that was supposed to be Pryor's first big breakout role, and it didn't happen, unfortunately. Let's see, and then we move on to Pryor had a supporting role in the Sidney Poitier Bill Cosby comedy Uptown Saturday Night, one of the many collaborations there. Uh, he started a film I just saw the other night for the first time. I'd never seen it before, an intriguing film called The Bingo Long Traveling All-Stars and Motor Kings. you see this one? No. I'm, that's that's like Vince Vaughn's Wild West comedy <laughs> show. Well, it's named after Bingo Long, who was a prominent uh, baseball player back in the back in the early days of baseball. It's basically about uh, this early Negro League, as, as they referred to back then, all African-American baseball team uh, that, that went on the road and traveled and tried to play in white and white areas, and they did so by being kind of like the Harlem Globetrotters of the day. They're kind of a okay. bunch of jokester baseball players. It stars Billy D. Williams, who is fantastic in it. I, it. It's so nice to see him give a really great performance. James Earl Jones is also in the film. It's not one of Richard Pryor's best films, though he he's kind of the comic relief in the film, but that's that was a, one of the first films he did that was kind of a prominence, and it was directed by John Badham, who went on to make uh, War Games and Saturday Night Fever. Then in 1976, a film that brought Pryor a lot of um, a lot of visibility, even though it's not a great film, and not definitely not a great performance by Pryor, and that would be Car Wash in oh, 1976. Car- here's, the the thing. Car Wash. here's the thing. I, after see, revisiting Car Wash, I really can't hate on people who like Soul Plane. I mean, let's just be honest. You really can't. Do you know anybody who likes Soul Plane? No, but I don't. if I ever met them... <laughs> I, I remember being at the movie at the AMC theater was getting popcorn at the concession stand. You know they have that thing where it's like you have your favorite movie on your name tag? Yeah. The uh, lady working the concession stand had Soul Plane listed as her favorite movie. And did, right, you, did you immediately get out of line and go to like a different concession person? No, I wanted that popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you can't taste racism. Okay. Uh. In uh, Car Wash, Richard Pryor, Richard Pryor plays Daddy Rich. He's this kind of this, <laughs> how to describe the character? He's this very wealthy uh, uh, preacher man. 
And what I like about his scene, and it kind of indicates the kind of the, the direction the film could have gone, and if they got chose to go all the way, a musical number breaks down. It's the Pointer Sisters. Yeah, the Pointer yeah, Sisters breaking like, up. Yeah, it's great. It's like okay, this movie—it's just so anything goes. Um, the film is written by Joel Schumacher, which actually really? explains a lot. Yeah, the first thing he ever did—he okay. wasn't he like kind of the go-to black filmmaker for a while. Even though he's not black. <laughs> oh, Joel Schumacher? Well, you know what's weird? Joel Schumacher later did DC Cab, which kind of Well, that's feels, what I was going to say. Yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. And he directed that one. And that... No, it's a good point, Ethan. I mean, DC Cab really feels kind of like a cousin to Car Wash. I mean... I can see that. I yeah. Mean, that's fair. That's yeah. fair. But Car Wash, it, it was a hugely successful film. This, and Richard Pryor is in it for, what, 11 minutes? That's kind of being generous. <laughs> and, and I agree with you, Dave. I mean, it's not a good movie. I mean, it's it's a series of really random skits. It gets really deadly serious in the last scene. And I don't know if it – I can't say it became, like, socially conscious in the last five minutes. But there's a, it's one of these movies you kind of understand why it was so important then. But it, it's it's really dated now. No, and even if, even if you're a huge fan of Pryor and George Carlin – I can't say I'd still say like, oh, you got to see Car Wash. No, no, not Car Wash. Um, <laughs> after Car Wash, he did his first film ever with Gene Wilder. That would be Silver Streak. This film, it's interesting because Pryor enters the film at the end of the second act. He's not even in like the first 50, 60 minutes of the film. He was a late addition to the script. He was a late addition to the film that kind of invented the role for him. And he walks away with this film, no question. It was a hugely successful movie. Um, there's a very famous scene in the film, a uh, very controversial, still controversial scene, which would be uh, the train sequence where Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor are both wanted by the authorities. Uh, there is an APB out for two uh, for for two people on the loose, being a white man and a black man. Richard Pryor says, "Well, they're not looking for two black guys, so let's come up with something." <laughs> so you remember the scene? Pryor yeah. takes Gene Wilder into the men's room and teaches him how to be black, and covers his face with shoe polish like Al Jolson. Talk about something you could not pull off today. No, no, no. And but you know what? And and I'll and let me just throw this out. I I, I don't mean to like give away the joke or whatever but for me the reason the scene still works and why it's it's acceptable if you want to put it that way is that wilder gets out of the men's room and they manage to sneak onto the train together and wilder is giving this outrageous awesomely offensive depiction of a black man and Pryor is horrified and there's two black people who see Gene Wilder's performance and they're horrified it's the two white cops that see Gene Wilder and they think he's a black guy and they let him on the train I mean for me that's why the scene works um, but it was that that scene was Pryor's idea um, and it, it was meant to be kind of confrontational and controversial then and it still is um, but it's you know, it's the comic highlight of the movie. Well, I think it's a great scene because of the way Pryor and Wilder play it. It is. Well, let me ask you a question. It, it, bringing up this scene and bringing up um, Pryor's stand-up comedy as well, as well as things he pulls in several other films, Yeah. could you see him as being, in a way, a black version of Andy Kaufman? He's just doing what he thinks he needs to do and screw the consequences. I'm just, we're going to go out on a limb because half the stuff that Kaufman did you couldn't do now. Right, yeah. And... Most of the stuff Pryor did, you couldn't do now. I mean, Chris Rock, you know, eventually modeled, essentially modeled himself to be the the next Richard Pryor. Sure, but he and, and he did far, the same thing too. Yeah, but they yeah. can't even go as far as Pryor went. No, no, no. And it was different time too. You know, the N, the N word. Uh, you, you know, you just. That's they, why I have my hand yeah. on the bleep button because half the <laughs> half the lines we're going to use are going to drop. Yeah. So yeah, but. No, no that, that, that's a real. I'm still thinking about that. It's a really intriguing comparison because you're, you're right. He, he kind of rewrote the rules of comedy. What was accept, acceptable and what was funny. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, he, you know, he, he made some, he made pathos and, and things that are so tragic so funny. The, but. the thing that struck me. I mean, before we go, keep moving. I, sure, I should no. probably save this for the end. But 
I really think that that one of the testaments to, to Pryor is the fact that his stand-up still holds up for the most part. Yes, it does. Whereas a lot of comics, like in the 90s and the 80s, you go back and they're like, hey, how about that airplane food? Right, yeah, right. No, dude, really? Yeah, making Dan Quayle jokes. Yeah, it's, yeah. All, it's all dated stuff. Ethan, did you see Silver Streak? No, I, I didn't get to... A lot of Richard Pryor movies are on Canadian Netflix, but not that one for some reason. Okay. No, it's, too, it's too bad, because I think it's actually one of his better ones. Oh, the, the, that scene. <laughs> I mean, it really they is... They do a reprisal of it in Stir Crazy, just without the blackface. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I haven't seen Stir Crazy in a while, so I'll let you guys kind of take, talk, take that one, because uh, it's been a, been a while since I've seen it. Uh, let's see. He followed it up with Grease Lightning, which was, one of the, uh, which was a historical film about one of the first African-American race car drivers, um, kind of a pseudo-successful film, and... And I guess before I should continue, I should note that Pryor did a ton of movies with Michael Schultz. Michael Schultz was like, he was the African-American director before there were African-American directors. I remember even Spike Lee said, yeah, before me, it was Michael Schultz. Michael Schultz did Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon. He directed a lot of Richard Pryor movies. He directed Car Wash. And Michael Schultz was like the guy to go to for a while. Um, let's see. And then that leads us to the first of uh, the first movies I mentioned, um, Pryor and Schultz, which is Which Way is Up? Did you guys see this one? I did not. I like this one. It's a strange movie. It's an unusual prior film. It's a remake of The Seduction of Mimi, an Italian comedy. And (laughs) it's a weird film. Pryor plays three characters in the film. And he's kind of, he's basically jumping on that before, you know, Martin Lawrence and Eddie Murphy made a career of of playing multiple characters. And Pryor's very good in this. In fact, he's terrific in it. The movie is really edgy. It's really edgy. It's kind of mean spirited, but it does have one of these redemptive endings. Um,. Pryor is married to a woman, having an affair with another woman, kind of leading a double life. He plays his crusty old grandpa. There's a scene in which uh, there's a scene where his wife is trying to basically spice things up in the bedroom, and she ties him to the bed and let's just say does a deliverance on him. Um, oh, and it's hilarious. By the way, it's hilarious. This is this is like it's it's funny because like. Uh, it's one of these movies I can't even imagine most comic actors getting away with today. Which Way is Up is really, really edgy, edgy stuff, um, but it's hilarious, and it, it feels like a real tailor-made prior movie, unlike some of the family films he did later on, the kind of an awkward fit. Anyway, let's move on. After that, he did Blue Collar. Am I the only one who's seen Blue Collar? No, I've seen it. Thank you. What did you think of Blue Collar? Very, very good movie. Yeah, this is this is my favorite prior film, just in terms of his performance. Um uh, this is Paul Schrader's film debut as a writer director. Um, Paul Schrader, I mean, his his he, this is one of these guys. We should do a show on Paul Schrader for Pete's sake. I mean, his 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 career as a director and a writer just kind of speaks for itself. But uh, this is Richard Pryor, Yafet Kato, and Harvey Keitel. This is. Uh, just see it. This movie is out of print on DVD. It's one of these movies you kind of have to search for and find. Hopefully, I'm hoping Criterion will release this on DVD one of these days. Um, Pryor's performance is primarily a serious one, although he has a few funny one-liners, but mostly it's serious. And uh, I think he's fantastic in this movie. This is my favorite serious performance that he's given. I think, yeah, why it's so good is because he's dramatic, but he still gets to be kind of that Richard Pryor-y guy in a way he still yeah. gets to be kind of that loud kind of funny guy yeah it's like when a lot of comedians like do dramatic performances people are like oh well it's amazing because he's not the same but it's actually good because he is kind of the same yeah i i totally agree with you there's a lot of pain to that character and there's a lot of pain to that character's journey and it's uh it's not a feel-good movie but it's a fantastic fantastic movie so yeah if, if nothing else please listeners check out blue collar that is a fantastic movie and it's a terrific richard Pryor movie 
Unfortunately, the same year, Pryor followed up Blue Collar. And again, this is like these are the roles that were available to him, and he took them. He uh, starred in the title character as the Wiz, the Sidney LeMay oh, remake of the Wizard of Oz, the Motown remake of the yeah. Wizard of Oz. Yeah, yeah. Where Diana Ross, who is by the way a magnificent singer and performer, Diana Ross uh, was supposed to play Dorothy Gale in her twenties, and Diana Ross looked about forty when she did this film. Michael Jackson, of course, a hell of a drug. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Michael Jackson uh, plays the Scarecrow. He's not really an actor, but he's very charming, and certainly as a song and dance man his brilliance shines through by the time Pryor shows up in the last five minutes of this very very long film um, he's working very hard to be whimsical just kind of like the whole film itself this is one of these movies that kind of killed the grand uh, the grand period the grand you know the golden age of Hollywood that 1970s period where directors and writers were kind of in control because you had all these great filmmakers like Sidney LeMay and, and uh, Wayne Friedkin and Francis Ford Coppola and Scorsese who made their mark at the beginning of the decade and at the end of the decade they were making these big bloated overdone pretentious overlong uh, just gigantic turkeys, and this was Sidney LeMay's. Um, the sets of this thing are gigantic. You kind of lose track of what's even going on at times. It's just everything is too big in this movie. And unfortunately, Pryor, is, it, he can't say He can't even save his one scene, unfortunately. It's too bad. That's just a bad movie. Just it is. I, yeah, I'm not a fan of The Wiz. Um, let's see. He followed that up with uh, California Suite, an adaptation of a Neil Simon ensemble comedy in the film. Pryor actually has a sequence with Bill Cosby, and sad to say, it's, it's been regarded as the one scene in the movie that doesn't really work, unfortunately. Oh, man. Um, Considering he like, started wait, off... Wait, sorry. This is directed that. by Altman, isn't it? No, no, no. Uh, uh, California Suite, that was a different one, right? Um... Uh oh, California Suite was Herbert Ross, wasn't it? I'm I'm bringing oh, up you're you. You're on it. Okay. Yes. Because uh, there's one. Yeah. Because there. Because because you're right. There is one that that Altman did, but I think that's a different one. Okay. California I think. Sweet. Jane Fonda in it. I think so. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Okay, where Did I even it? get the director right? I thought it was Herbert um, Ross. Uh, director Herbert Ross. You got Herbert it. Herbert Ross. Okay. Yes, sir. Yeah, because there's a, I think Plaza Suite, I think that's the one you're thinking of, Ethan, which is also uh, Robert Altman directed uh, Neil Simon Forrest. But yeah. Okay. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. I mean, I would have loved to have seen Richard Pryor with Robert Altman, but yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> that didn't happen. Though we got some interesting directors coming up. Following that, 1979, you got the first Richard Pryor concert movie, Richard Pryor Live in Concert. This is him, young, raw, undiluted, untapped, unsurpassable. It's an amazing film. Hard to find. It's not like Live in the Sunset Strip or Here and Now, which are very accessible. Live in Concert's a little hard to find, but man, if you find it, this is like some of his best stuff. It's amazing. If you get a chance to see Live in Smokin', don't. No. Yeah, thank you. That's another bad one. We'll, we'll definitely get yeah. to this. So, yeah. Yeah. Yes, unfortunately, yeah, he's got two great concert movies, or three great concert movies, but he's got two that are stinkers. But anyway, also in 1979, The Muppet Movie. That's I forgot he was in there. Remember that. the Muppet movie? Yeah, I've always loved his scene because he's got that absurd line where he's an ice cream man and he gives Kermit the Frog dragonfly ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that there's like a brand of ice cream. It's like mashed up dragonflies. And remember, mm, it was green. Mm, remember? Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure so it was just mint chocolate chip, but you know, you got to make the frog happy. Hey, what the heck? Yeah, exactly. And then let's see. And you, you kind of jumped on this, Dave. I mean. Prior, unfortunately, um, he wasn't in control of all of his films at this point. So you do had you did have a few concert movies that were kind of released, uh, basically as really bad reproductions of former concert movies, or just had bad footage. One of which is called Richard Pryor is back live in concert. It's like this really bad bootleg version of live in concert. Unfortunately, that was in theaters. Some people actually saw it. 
He did a couple of religious parodies, both of which have no laughs in them. One is a Marty Feldman film called In God We Trust, in which he plays God. Good casting, Whoa, but, but not – Yeah. And then Holy Moses, um, which really wasn't wasn't very good at all. And then, okay, and then finally kind of the golden age. This is where he was a huge, huge, huge movie star, one of the biggest names in Hollywood. Starting in 1980 with Stir Crazy, which is still the top-grossing film he's ever made. That movie made over $100 million in 1980, the second pairing with uh, Gene Wilder and a gigantic hit. Well, opening up with the scene with the oregano, that wasn't oregano. It's for the <laughs> motherland! <laughs> that, that was, like, beautiful. It was brilliant. I will say it's interesting, I guess, the racial connotations of uh, him working with maids at the beginning. I think mm-hmm. it's pretty interesting. Yeah, he had to be the, the part of the wait staff. Yes. And uh, it's interesting we should note this film's directed by Sidney Poitier. Yes. That blew my mind. So I love the idea of him like just filming these scenes and being behind the camera and be like, Yes. <laughs> I wanna quote something that Pryor said about this film, and this is uh this is using one of his comedy albums. Um, apparently, what the day um, they actually filmed at a real, real working penitentiary, and he and Gene Wilder got to the set, and Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor are kind of joking around with the inmates, and they're joking, making jokes, and and apparently at one point Gene Wilder turned to Pryor and said, "Richard, this is great. They love us," and uh, Pryor said, "No, man, they don't love us. They want to <laughs> us." <laughs> <laughs> you know that really fits perfectly with just the film stir crazy in general too. yeah yeah absolutely and, and the scene i'm talking about is is when they're going into prison and, and Pryor's trying to help while gene wilder kind of toughen up a little bit and be a bad man oh yeah i remember that scene it kind of, it's not doesn't go over the line like silver streak does but it's very reminiscent of yeah yeah that fish out of water thing yeah, you know, for two people, like, um, Pryor has, has in, in his book, which I brought with me, Prior Convictions, the book that he wrote about his life, he's kind of, he's very apologetic about some of the stuff that happened over this period of time, because at this point, his, sorry to bring it up, but his substance abuse was kind mm-hmm. of getting out of control, um, and... Wilder has said, even in the book that he wrote too himself, saying that uh, at times Pryor was very aloof because he would be in kind of a drug haze and one day he would fire everybody, then the next day he would come back and it would be okay and it was very kind of chaotic working with him at times. Um, The watermelon story. But they do, but they did really love each other, and they really did love working with each other. But yeah, at times it was, yeah, exactly the watermelon story. Apparently, at times it was really tumultuous because you never knew what you were going to get with Pryor. Yeah, and so. I guess I should bring up what the watermelon story is. Yeah, yeah, please do. There was a there was a point where on the set of Stir Crazy, everyone they they just everyone had watermelon because it was hot outside. Everyone sat around right. having watermelon and enjoying it. And two of the two of the camera guys were thro- tossing a slice back and forth like a frisbee, and one slice lands at his feet, and he's like. I know what this means. And he storms off, doesn't show up the next day, says, I quit, shows up the day after. The camera man's been fired, and he's back all happy hunky-dory. Yeah. At which point Gene Wilder says, I'm pretty sure he was doing drugs while we worked on yes. Stir Crazy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's a... Yeah, it's a shame. There's there's a, there's actually a huge chunk of Pryor's life he says he doesn't even remember during this time. In fact, I think... Um, I think it was... I remember, I remember him once saying he doesn't even remember making the whiz... <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. No one can remember him being. Yeah, that's so all right. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. So you're fine there, Pryor. Um, let's see. Then Bustin' Loose in 1981. This is interesting. This movie was made mostly in 1979, but because of Pryor's accident, we'll just say his freebasing accident, mm-hmm. um, the movie <laughs> the movie wasn't released until 19. It wasn't even finished until 1981. So it's worthy of note that while you're watching uh, Bustin' Loose, you'll notice that if you watch him while he's driving the bus, this is a movie where he's he's for reasons that are very contrived. He has to drive a bus full of unruly kids 
kids cross country and over the course of the movie he and the kids all love each other but um he looks different over the course of the film you watch him like it's not it's not the way he's dressed but like you can tell like at one point he's skinny he's got a little more weight he looks a little more polished he looks like he just survived uh Freebasing, <laughs> and uh, it was like what was he was he, he lit himself on fire while smoking crack and drinking like 150 proof, right? So he became extremely Whiskey. flammable, ex- yes. you know, which is why the whole prior on fire joke came from. Um, I but, shouldn't laugh, but it's funny. He made jokes about it too. No, I mean you know, look, he made jokes about it too. So I think it's it's okay now, but uh, but yeah, it's no, not I like mean, you can say too soon. Thank God this guy survived that, and what a miracle that he actually did. I mean, I mean, yeah. you know, even he thought he'd bought the farm but anyway bustin loose was the first film to come out after that so of course there was a lot of anticipation over the new richard pryor film bustin loose came out around the same time as live in the sunset strip which is the film where he talks explicitly about all that um in which he compares <laughs> he compares his cocaine addiction to being a kid who just liked to go into the cookie jar a little too much um yeah live on the sunset strip is one of the great great concert films he's done i love all of it i love his three concert films live in concert live on the sunset strip and here and now um but yeah i think live on the sunset strip might be the best one let's see and then from there he did a film called some kind of hero which isn't very good unfortunately this is a film it's probably most worthy of note it's a comedy where he's a vietnam vet he comes back to america finds that things aren't going well there's a really there is one funny sequence in the film where he, where i think a, a house burns down or a bank robbery some incident happens and he's a man on the street who's interviewed and you see how this and how this interview basically like cuts down his two minute long description of what happened to like one little soundbite of yes um but the 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 thing that people tend to remember about this film is while he was making the movie he had a romance with margot kidder really lois lane yeah he had a had a romance with margot kidder during the making of this film which is i can't think that was gonna happen during superman 3 (laughs) well she was barely in that film so but we're getting there we're getting to superman 3 (laughs) rubbing my hands here and then well let's jump to another one of uh, ethan's favorites right after some kind of hero he actually was in and this is one of the most successful films he's ever in a huge hit I don't know why. A film directed by Richard Donner of Lethal Weapon and Lost Boys fame. Uh, that would, excuse me, not Lost Boys. I'm sorry. Uh, Lethal Weapon and Superman fame. That would be Richard Donner's The Toy, starring, oh, yeah. starring Richard Pryor and uh, Jackie Gleason. Uh, you're getting ready to read something, aren't you? I wonder what he thought of. The, oh, you know what? I know exactly what he thought of the film. It's right here. Uh, let's see. Here we go. Do I need to have the button ready? Um, not this time. We're good, okay. actually. Okay. Uh, let's see. I worked on the toy with Jackie Gleason in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I didn't much care for the picture. Like the others, I did it for the monies. But Jackie and I hit it off famously like kindred souls. Oh, here we go. Um, you're okay. The Jackie Jackie talked to me about between setups was funnier than anything we got in the movie. <laughs> he knew about gangsters, gamblers, comics, vaudeville, strippers, and sharks. We had a great time. <laughs> so you had fun making the movie. Movies might have sucked, but... And, you know, and, and on one hand, um, I didn't play fair with this movie. I did, uh, Unlike a lot of these films, I didn't go back and revisit this movie for this segment. Um, I just remember seeing it when I was a kid in which I thought it was really stupid and kind well, you of... You know, a, you're going to have to when kind we get to the Richard Donner episode. And kind of, yeah, Richard Donner. I don't know. I've always found this movie kind of offensive, certainly in its premise. But but I know, Ethan, you feel otherwise. Yeah, because it's funny. <laughs> but this is the film where Jackie Gleason's a millionaire and his little boy is played by Schwartz from uh, from A Christmas Story. Forgive me, I can't remember the actor's name. But, but Gleason essentially buys... Richard Pryor for his kid as a as a toy as a plaything. <laughs> yeah. 
Here's the thing, though. That's not necessarily outside of Richard Pryor's wheelhouse to do something just that unconventional and that wrong. Yeah, but this is like this is a white man buying a black man for the entertainment of his son. Yeah, Dave. but they acknowledge the whole slavery thing in it, and they in the movie is making jokes about racism. Like it's not, it's not, it's not like just it's not just using that premise for laughs. It is actually a movie about racism in a way. So you, clearly, we need to revisit the. film. I will revisit the film because what I remember of the film, I remember. A scene where he goes into a lake and it's full of piranhas and then all of a sudden the movie switches to fast forward and he's like running out of the lake and his shirt has lots of holes in it I yeah it's funny there's a scene where he's on this wonder ball that's making him kind of like go upside down and entertaining <laughs> the kid or when he's dressed as a maid <laughs> and when he's dressed as a maid yes i remember that scene too <laughs> Ethan's basking oh, in your uncomfortableness. I'm just saying. Oh, the toy. Well, it, it made Pryor a lot of money, and it was a huge. It was a big success. So, so there you go. What the heck do I know? Um, let's see. After after the toy, he did the film Here and Now. This is the concert film, kind of famous because there was a lot of hecklers during this concert movie. So a lot of his material gets kind of um, off uh, off direction at times. Um, and yet, it's really really terrific. He manages to use that very poignantly. Um, yeah, it's a, it's still a very strong concert film movie. I do recommend that. And then we come to Wait, Superman. Sorry, Green. sorry. The which concert film was it? Here and now. Okay, not when's Live at the Sunset Strip? That was the one right before the toy. Okay, because I remember that's the one. I remember when I uh, listening to ODB once, and he sampled him being like, "Fuck you! I can't even say." It. And I was wondering, like, what the hell is that? When listening to ODB, and then I saw it, and I was like, "Oh, that's where it's from." <laughs> ODB. Well, oh, yeah. Let's. Prior had this to say about Superman three, and please get oh, the. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, we're we're here. We're here. We need to take a moment to to slow to <laughs> do stop. I, do you want to take a moment to bask in this season? To bask in the glorious <laughs> Superman three. <laughs> let me uh, let me add this. Uh, this is what Prior had to say. At, I need uh, the button ready. Please. Okay. Uh, chapter twenty nine. Um, this is what he had to say. I went off to London to play the villain in Superman 3. And yes, the movie was a piece of... But even before I read the script, the producers offered me $4 million, more than any black actor had ever been paid. For a piece of... I told my agent, it smells great. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. I love it. Now, this is another one, uh, for those of you who haven't listened to this show, um, this is another one that Ethan has said that I certainly need to revisit, and I will, uh, because it's actually something of a... You have it, don't you? I own this film. I've, I I've, know. It's like I've, I gave you the, the I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I've, I've seen the film in the last five years. I just I don't like the film. I never have. I think it's the worst <laughs> of the Superman movies. I do. There's great. It's worse than four. Come yes, on. Yes. I'll take Nuclear Man over oh, over Richard Pryor putting on a cape and then going on skis down the side <laughs> of that stupid, stupid, that stupid. It, the part that gets me is when he's trying to come up with the with the the, the chemical com- combination for kryptonite. It's like I don't know what this is. Let's look at the cigarettes oh it's tar okay and how they the all-time best scene when he's wearing the giant foam cowboy hats oh my gosh (laughs) and that's where that song comes from that i put on your page uh which which is my pick for the worst movie song of all time uh, by giorgio Moroder. it's like this it's like this synth country song it's just dreadful i have the soundtrack to superman 3 for some reason um 
yeah, there's good stuff in the movie. I love all the Lana Lang, Alana Lang stuff. I think is really nice. Um, but yeah, prior, you know, this is. I sometimes wonder. It's not a high point. I will admit that. A few episodes we talked about what would happen if Eddie Murphy starred in Star Trek Four. Like to me, this is like the worst case scenario. Of what could have happened if Eddie Murphy starred in Star Trek Four? I uh, yeah, I I can't I can't do this movie. I just can't. Uh, Mirror World Superman. I love it. And Robert Vaughn is the evil mastermind, and they create this machine oh, yeah, that can. What about yeah, evil? I think like I think Richard <laughs> Pryor is great in it, but I think even everything beyond him is good in it too. Like evil Superman, like you said, Lana Lang. There's a lot of good stuff. That's in that good movie. stuff. I love it when the he, opening scene is good. <laughs> it has Superman. a sla- it opens up with this slapstick ballet, which again I'm not sure. It, it doesn't it doesn't feel like it belongs for this movie but it belongs in some movie i don't i don't know if it well, belongs in this one well it's a richard lester movie too yes it is, is yes it is yeah so yeah. i think you can tell he's putting his stamp on it and yes the scene where clark kent has to battle the evil superman in the junkyard that is a good scene i'll admit to that too or when he the leaning tower of pizza and he stands straight yes <laughs> or when superman's at a bar yes <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> you're like, please, let's move on. You know, you know what? Another film, hugely successful, was one of the top-grossing films of what was it, 1983. Mm-hmm. So okay, we can move on. All right, I'll let you off the hook. Uh, to Walter Hill's Brewster's Millions. I love Brewster's Millions. Do you love Brewster's Millions? Because I, it's it is the epitome of, of of the black man outsmarting the white people. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, it's kind of like an early Eddie Murphy movie. Yeah. Like uh, I mean, you can take the film to be quite a racist have racist undertones essentially you know it's well we don't want him to we want to have this boy's money and so we're going to make him jump through these obscenely stupid hoops to try to keep this money and just what's a decent guy get what is rightfully his it's kind of like trading places that way though yeah it is it is but it's just the the sheer levels of genius and brilliance like the bit with the stamp still gets me i like the bit with the stamp i do remember that this is one of these movies i always remember watching a lot as a kid when it came on hbo just because just just to see richard pryor and john candy in the same movie and you know walter hill directed this walter hill um i've always found the movie more entertaining than funny i think it has one of the most important political concepts to come out of a film in probably at least 20 years which is and that is none of the above we're seeing that we're seeing that whole idea of none of these choices is good enough for me come back around in the biggest way possible every year that we that, that every year since that that sentiment has been rising more and more hmm. and so i can just say none of the above and anyone who's seen Brewster's millions are like yes exactly that's it well, it's about a guy who gets so sick of all this money, he gets so sick of all those choices, and you know, it gets the well, it's place. just when he's running for office, he's like, "Look, all of us are jokers. None of us are worth doing this crap." So, is this your favorite prior movie? It might be. It might wow. be. I love that aspect of it. That okay. aspect of it really resonates with me. Okay. Okay. Ethan, have you seen Brewster's Millions? Sorry. No, no, that's okay. That's all right. Pryor did like 40 movies. It's <laughs> like when we postponed this episode by a week, I had a chance to like go back and see the bingo long traveling all-stars. But I mean, this guy did so many films. There's even a couple I haven't seen. Um, I have seen this next one though. And this is, this is probably my favorite um, just because Pryor directed Jojo Dancer, Your Life is Calling. This is the story of his life. Jojo, Jan- Jojo Dancer, excuse me, is the fictitious name of his character, but it's about a little boy who grows up in a brothel with his parents. You, there's a scene where it recreates Pryor's freebasing accident. You see him working on movies. You see him working a stand-up. The film is tremendously funny. It's also really painful and powerful at times. It's not perfect, um, 
it's not perfect because i mean prior is so close to this film uh it's hard to say like i guess trying to i'm trying to word what i think is wrong with the movie and i I think maybe just because it's it's there's so much of he's had such an amazing life and it's hard to get it all into a movie so some of it's a little jumbled um but i think his performance is amazing and i think in terms of him being revealing himself to this point i think it's a pretty amazing movie have you seen this ethan Sorry, say the movie title again. Jojo Dancer, Your Life Is Calling. No, no, I haven't seen it. Okay, I don't think that was on. That one was available. Yeah, it's not on Netflix. Okay, yeah, so yeah. That's why I yeah, I, uh, I think it's on DVD, but it might be one of those DVDs that's out of print. Another great prior movie that people need to see. Right yeah, Jojo Dancer. Moving on, uh, Critical Condition. Did you see this one? I did one? not see that one. It's, it's not good. It's not good. <laughs> He's a con man who talks his way into a hospital, pretends to be a doctor. It's just no laughs. It's just really, really stupid. Um, following that, I think it was, yeah, the same year he did the movie Moving. Did you guys see Moving? Moving is weird because it, it's kind of like busting loose in the sense that it feels like it wants to be a family movie, but it's R. It's a hard R. <laughs> and Moving is basically about this guy who's he's going on a moving trip, um, and it's all the wacky people he encounters while he's moving. And it's pretty sad when Dana Carvey in drag essentially steals the whole movie. Dana, wow. Dana Carvey is one of the movers, and he seems like the most normal, nice guy. And then halfway through the trip, like you see him driving the truck, and he's totally in drag, and he's singing along to Dolly Parton music, and that's like the comic highlight of the film. At one point, Richard Pryor dresses up as a kung fu master. It's not a good movie. It's really, really stupid. Really stupid. Okay. Um, thankfully, moving on to what I think is, uh, th- and and so, yeah, no one ever agrees with me on this, but my favorite of the Gene Wilder. Richard Pryor team up. See no evil, hear no evil. I didn't want to ruin the, ruin the magic of stir crazy. I, I, like oh, I've read bad it? enough things about it. This is my like, this okay. is my so favorite of the two. I'll keep it in the. Queue. This film, Pryor is a blind man. Wilder's a deaf man, and the two <laughs> witness a murder, and they work together to basically solve the crime and thwart the bad guys. The bad guy, by the way, is played by a very young Kevin Spacey in one of his first films. So I, this is where, where Gene Wilder came up with the idea to do the, the detective show. Like ten years later. That's right. Yeah, I'm guessing. Yeah, that's I right. Know. I forgot. I forgot about that show. Yeah, yeah. But this is uh, this film is hugely successful. I it's not politically correct anymore. Certainly, I mean, this movie is like it's kind of offensive now. But I I thought it was hilarious in 1989. I don't. Know, I've always liked the film. I think it's pretty funny. And Pryor has a great scene where he is on a subway and his sister kind of breaks it to him for the first time that he's a black man. <laughs> And it, it's a lot like the the Chappelle skit. I mean, he's but it's not a racist thing. I mean, he's like he's horrified. He never realized that he was black all these years. Wow! Did you it's see this one, Ethan? Yeah. Did you see Did you see this one, Ethan? Uh, I think I saw it like when I was a kid. Okay. But yeah, I remember it being good. Okay, yeah, I think it's pretty hilarious. Um, and let's just move on to the one I think we've all seen, Harlem Nights. Surprised me just how good that movie is. Do you like this one, Ethan? I didn't see. I feel bad. Oh, no, I really no, that's okay. That's all right. Don't worry about it. Screwed up on this episode. No, no, it's okay. It's okay. We're giving. Hey, we're, I've got a list of movies I've when got to go back and watch. When we got to the watch. toy in Superman three, you brought it, man. You brought it. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Oh yeah. Harlem Nights. Um, I just watched this again last night. Um, I hadn't seen it in a couple of years. I wanted to refresh. Uh, yeah, I've always liked this movie. Here's the thing that really strikes me about Harlem Nights is that it could have just been served to be a gimmick to get three generations of of black comics together. And just been a really crappy movie, crappy story. You know, it's like, hey, look how much fun we're having making this movie, but it's awful and you're suffering. This movie's solid from top to bottom, I thought. 
Yeah, I've always liked the film. When it came out, uh, the critics kind of used it as a pinata. And mo- one of the reasons is that Murphy was the biggest movie star in the world. And this is the first film he ever wrote and directed and produced. So it was like, you know, it was his baby. And they call it a vanity project. And, um, you know, just saying like, oh, it's such an ego trip of a movie, such a vanity project. And watching it again the other night, I thought... It really isn't. No, this is an ensemble piece. There's a lot of the movie Della that Reese he... is freaking hilarious in it. There's a lot of the movie that he's not even in. I mean, there's a, you know, when you go to the bad guys, the movie's about the bad guys. It's more about Pryor's character than it is about Quick, the Murphy character. Yeah. Um, Arsenio Hall was hilarious in it. I love Arsenio Hall. I mean, it's a ridiculous scene. It's a ridiculous character, but his scene is hilarious. The shootout that ensues, I thought it was just hysterically <laughs> funny and really, really surprising for a movie like this. Um yeah, I think my only problem with the movie, and, and I don't think it's a perfect film, but I think probably the biggest problem with it is the pacing. It it's Oddly enough, it's paced kind of like a John Landis film. It's kind of quiet. Mm-hmm. It's a little slow at times. And it has these big pauses in between the laugh lines so that the audience has time to laugh, which is – some movies can get away with it. I don't know if this movie always got away with it. And kind of like some other movies, like I would say like John Carpenter's Memoirs of an Invisible Man – the movie itself as a production is so sensational, it doesn't quite live up to the story, and I think Harlem Nights is the same way. The story isn't that great. The um, whole bit where he shoots off Delarice's toe, though. <laughs> that oh, is my god! I love that fight scene. This is a edgy, edgy movie. <laughs> it is. Oh, absolutely. And Murphy isn't doing it because, you know, they're saying, like, oh, this movie's so misogynist, and oh, it's so, it's so irresponsible. It's a reflection of the times. This is mm-hmm. 1918, 1928, 1938. These are edgy times. There was, you know, people were misogynist. People were foul-mouthed. People were violent. These are criminals. All these characters are criminals. Absolutely. It, Red Fox is great in it, too. Yeah, and Pryor, is, he's, there's such a warmth to his character. I think he's great in this movie. I really do. And I think it's fun. It's, it's, it's so enjoyable to watch him and Fox and Murphy and Della Reese work together. D- uh, Danny Aiello plays a really offbeat character. I've really enjoyed his scene. And, um, yeah, I, I, I think this movie really works. I think it got a serious bad rap when it came out. I thought Murphy really showed a lot of style and some really classy choices as a director. And mm-hmm. It... it- also pulled off the very difficult task of showing these characters being brutal to each other. Right. I mean, the whole bar, the whole bit where Red Fox has to put his glasses on finally is awesome. But it also underscores the way that these characters and actors all have a genuine infection for each other at the same time, which yeah. is difficult to pull off, I thought. Definitely. I want to read this really quick. This is what Pryor had to say about Harlem Nights. Um, Do I need to have it ready? Uh, yes. Okay. I will, uh, yeah. Um, he says, at the end of 1988, I worked on Harlem Nights, Eddie Murphy's pet movie project. At the time, no one was bigger. Exercising his clout, he was the picture's writer, director, and star. He was trying to scale the same mountain that I climbed making JoJo Dancer. I should have warned the mother I never connected with Murphy. People talked about how my work had influenced Eddie, and perhaps it did. But I always thought Eddie Murphy's comedy was mean. I used to say, Eddie, be a little nice, and that would piss him off. But Eddie can act. I don't care what people say. That mother is a great actor. So me throwing... Eddie and myself together after so many dream uh, after so much dreaming by executives and studio people it sounded exciting as hell the potential had guys in Hollywood putting money down on their new homes and Porsches then Red Fox joined the mix and Eddie's movie took on the air of history three generations of black comics working together only Harlem Nights wasn't a comedy you know it was Eddie's movie that's what it was I just wish I'd been in peak form for obvious reasons, I never felt obliged to inform anyone about my disease, but the fact was, the MS was giving me a difficult time. This was around the time that he was uh, um, diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, unfortunately. And you could kind of tell a little bit in the film, he looks a little bit gaunt. 
Um, and you can tell through all his, his, his subsequent films, too, unfortunately, that he was starting to get really sick. Right after Harlem Nights, not after Harlem Nights, uh, Harlem Nights was 89, and in 92, he did a film called Another You. It was the last film he ever did with uh, Gene Wilder, um, definitely one of their least inspired movies. You could really, really tell that Pryor is looking kind of tired and a little sick and gone. In fact, he went on a talk show to promote the movie, and there was a rumor that started to spread that, that he had AIDS, because that's what it, it kind mm-hmm. of looked like. Yeah. Um, the... Uh, and the worst aspects of the disease hadn't taken over yet, but of course, over over the years, he became wheelchair bound. Um, his last two films uh, will end up with his uh, being Mad Dog Time. He has a cameo in that film, Mad Dog Time. It's been retitled Trigger Happy for most DVD releases. This is a weird film directed by Joey Bishop's son. It's about this alternate universe where everybody in the world's a gangster. It's with Richard Dreyfus, Ellen Burstyn. Uh, I'm sorry, Ellen um, Ellen Barkin, and Gabriel Burns. Sorry about that, folks. I had a little technical difficulty. Barry, where were you? Last film that Richard Pryor ever did was called Lost Highway. This is the David Lynch film. Um, I didn't lo- even remember him being in it. Yeah. I, I, and the book uh, that I brought with me, Pryor Convictions, which is Richard Pryor's autobiography, um, it was published in 95. He did Lost Highway in 96 and 97. Um, so I, I've always w- – I'd, I'd love to hear why he did the film and what his thoughts were on the film. Um, he's in the movie as uh, the, the head of – He's like the chief mechanic at the um, at the auto place that Balthazar Getty works at, where he first encounters, um, you know, Patricia Arquette's character. Pryor has a few lines. He's very nice and likable. It's just, it's kind of this really laid back character role that I think anybody could have played. And oddly enough, he's playing it. There are a few critics who thought his being in the movie was kind of exploitive um, of of Lynch by putting him in there. Others said that you know this is such a great thing that he's working with one of the geniuses of of cinema mm-hmm. of the 20th century. I've never known how I felt about him being in this movie. What did you think, Ethan? Uh, I guess you could sort of see him as being like kind of, I guess it's sad to say this, but yeah, exploiting him like a sort of a sad, like look weird looking kind of thing he, Lynch would capture in a way. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's people are divided about him being in the movie and what it what it means and why Lynch put him there and I've I've never known what Lynch or Pryor had to say about his participation in the film and 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 you're right to not to remember him and it's a very very small small piece of the film but that was the last film that Pryor did and uh, yeah unfortunately he's he's uh, no longer with us um, for my part I just want to mention uh, Blue Collar Silver Streak JoJo Dancer Your Life Is Calling and uh, Richard Pryor Live in the Sunset Strip I remember watching Pryor's place. Thank you for mentioning Pryor's Place. That's a TV show he did. Yeah. It was kind of like, it was kind of an early, it's almost like an African-American Sesame Street. There mm-hmm. were puppets and there were cartoons and there were skits and there were celebrity guests like Robin Williams was a guest at one point. Um, yeah, I wish Pryor's Place would come out because the Richard Pryor show, I've got that on DVD and that's fantastic. That was the show that he did for a while before the network said, uh-uh, no, <laughs> they canceled him. Um, though it's really, it's it's full of genius and it's got Robin Williams and Paul Moody on it. Um, but uh, yeah, Pryor's Place. Yeah, that was on. That was on long enough. It was a good show. Yeah, yeah. So, if, anyway, if you have your favorite Pryor moments, I'd love to hear about them too. Yeah, please. Um, but that I loved doing this discussion. So, so th- thanks guys for doing. It. I know Ethan wanted to do it, but like going through and discovering this stuff has just been. A no, it was blast. a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, all right, so let's go ahead and talk about what's hitting theaters this week. 
This week, um, Casa de mi Padre, starring Will Ferrell, the all-Spanish movie starring Will Ferrell, and apparently has one of the more soon-to-be most infamous sex scenes of all time. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. I believe it. Okay. You've been warned. 21 Jump Street, starring Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum. Uh, you can't say anything, but you, you got, did you actually get to interview him? I did, and Jonah Hill actually asked me to, to say something about the show. He's like, oh, you know, as soon as you have the chance, say, you know, as soon as you have the chance, promote the movie. Yeah, so... Uh, yeah. So are you allowed to? Or? Uh, Jonah Hill asked me to say something about it. Okay, and so, I, so, so I could, I could say it? that it's absolutely hilarious. I love okay. this movie. I, thought it was just, I think it's the first really hugely funny movie of the year. It reminded me a lot of the other guys. It's just a total really? smackdown of okay. this genre. Yeah. <sighs> see, yeah. you have to go there. Now I have to see it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. It's very funny. No question, it is, it is vulgar and morally irresponsible and crude and raunchy and absolutely hysterical. Are I, you I, finally I, on the Channing Tatum train? You know what? He has a knack for comedy. He had a knack for it in that awful Amanda Bynes movie, She's the Man, and I think he's very he's in good form here. It's not like the most amazing performance, but he's very good, and he more than holds his own with Jonah Hill, which you can't say that about everybody. So I don't know if I'm necessarily on the train, but you know, hey, maybe between this and Magic Mike, maybe we're going to see a different side of him this year. So, All right. Yeah. Cool. In limited release, you've got Jeff Who Lives at Home. I've seen this one. This is a great movie. This is, uh, uh, let's see. This is Jason Siegel and Ed Helms and Judy Greer and Susan Sarandon and Ray Day Chong. This is a great movie. This is the new film by the Duplass Brothers, their first film since Cyrus. It's really, really funny, very strange, very unpredictable. I like this film a lot. Cool. Um, and then The Kid with the Bike, the critically acclaimed film, is uh, just in spooling in some theaters this weekend. Sweet. All right, let's move on to DVDs. I know we're cranking through it, folks, but we, we want to get through the we, – we I, I want to – End the show quicker. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we're trying to do. All right. Well, next week on DVD, you got uh, David Fincher's The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Dave and I saw that together. Really enjoyed it. Good well, film. Yeah. I'll never see it again. You'll never see it again? Yeah. I, I will see it again. I would yeah. like to see the film again. Uh, let's see. The Muppets. Yes, Speaking of Jason Segel. <laughs> the Muppets is coming out. I have pre-ordered from Amazon. Dave has something to say about this. Finally, on DVD, <laughs> Battle Royale, the complete collection on Blu-ray. If you don't have it, it it's worth getting, especially if you got in... I, Here's where I'm sitting. I've got it pre-ordered from Amazon for twenty bucks on Blu-ray. It's going for thirty-seven on pre-order right now. But do, looking through it, I've got the uh, the Arrow release from the UK, the region-free version, and apparently a lot of the stuff's the same as far as the actual film itself. Like it's this exact same transfers and everything. You do have to own Battle Royale too. And it's missing like an hour of features from the Arrow version. So mm. I think I'm actually going to cancel my pre-order. Okay. But if you haven't, if you don't have it, and if it's the same transfers as what I've got, I think it's outstanding. If they, if not, looking even better yet from what I've heard. Okay. So yeah. Also on DVD, we got Roman Polanski's Carnage with Kate Winslet, uh, Christoph Waltz, John C. Riley, and Jodie Foster. I really like this movie. It's it's got limited appeal, but uh, it's very nasty, very funny. Um, Dave and Ethan like this one a lot more than me, though I gotta admit the performances are amazing. Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, definitely worth checking out, especially if you're a fan of Gary Oldman. He's remarkable in this film, full of a lot of really remarkable performances in the movie. Yes. Uh, Jonah Hill in The Sitter. Did you see this one, Ethan? Uh, I will. Yeah, me too. I wanted to see it. It wasn't in theaters very long over here. On Criterion, you've got uh, Letter Never Sent, the 1959 film from the Russian filmmaker Mikhail Kalatazov. Uh, and also on Criterion, great movie from 20 years ago, The War Room. This is about... Uh, that looks interesting. Yeah, it's really good. Bill Clinton, when he was running for president, there's a lot of James Carville footage. It's a lot of fun. So, I re- yep. so it's a full doc, right? Yeah, it's good okay. stuff. Yeah, very, very revealing. A lot of fun to watch. And then finally, uh, Wes Craven's The Hills Have Eyes Part Two. This is his original 1995 sequel, the infamous film, finally released on Blu-ray, most famous for what? Having a flashback from the point of view of a dog. There you go. 
All right. Wow. And I'm going to save the stupid release for next week. Okay. I'll, I'll, I won't mention it until next week. So, had a good time. It's been a good episode. Folks, if you want to email us, by all means do. Shoot us an email at podcastbarry, Ethan, or Dave, all at screengeeks.com. We should be back next week doing another episode talking about all kinds of fun things, making fools about ourselves. It should be all good. And and we can catch Barry, your work over at MauiTimeWeekly.com. Thank you. And Ethan, where, where can we find your work too? In a dumpster somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I've been finding clips of Concordia and all the stuff you get, you've been doing, um, Fade to Black. I've been finding it on YouTube. Yeah? Yeah. Watching it? Yeah, I've been watching it. I watched that really good. Uh, let's see, it was a it was a really good sit down interview you did talking about Miss Bala and a separation. That was really good. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad. So sweet. Maybe you should like it on Facebook. Oh, I should. Hey, yeah. you're, you're gonna. Go did I not like it on Facebook? I thought I did. No, just we have a fan page on Facebook, Fade to Black. Oh no, I, no, I didn't know that. No, I will check that out. Sweet. Okay, so okay. check out Fade to Black. Do all the episodes get posted there, Ethan? Yep. Okay, so and usually I post them on my Facebook. Cool. All right, so if you're not friends with Ethan, you should be. But if you're not, fade to black on Facebook. You can catch all the episodes Check there. Check it out. And uh, yeah, stuff. I, I guess that'll do it for this week. But uh, yeah, so until then, this is Dave. This is Barry. You've got to walk it like you talk it, or you lose that beat. This is Gus 